Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Whoever came up with the idea of picking teams in school? You ever thought about that? Have you, when it was time to hit the playground and you wanted to play a game of basketball or a game of football, and uh, how many of you picking teams? Any of y'all remember, y'all remember that? That's a traumatic event, uh, if, if you think about it. And I know, I know most of you were probably not the last one picked, um, but if you were built like me on the basketball court, um, let's just say that, that I wasn't the first one picked, um, typically. And... Uh, what do you think is in us that always wants to pick the winner, right? You just, nobody, nobody in the position of picking a team will go and say, let me think, who's the person that's probably the worst at this thing, and let me pick them first, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen that way, does it? It usually picks the best one and, and all that. How many of you are grateful you've lived long enough to know that being picked first on the playground doesn't necessarily transition into success in, in, in life? Yeah, you, some of you are like, pick me now. Pick, pick, pick me now. And yet every once in a while, someone gets picked that no one expected, and they end up surprising everybody. I had a, an experience like this last weekend. We were playing basketball at Weston Park out there. Um, where, where's Jared? Jared, are you here? Jared Cope? Yeah. Yeah, if you know Jared, he and I look a lot alike. And um, we're, we're built a lot the same, and, and, and you, can, you can borrow anything out of my closet that you want. Uh, Jared, that's not true. We don't look anything alike. But Jared, Jared picked me. He was one of the captains. And his first pick was his pastor. How I many you know that's a man under authority? <laughs> right there. And uh, so I got picked. And then he turns to me and says, hey, who else do we pick? Who do we pick next? And uh, so this is how Jared Cope and I picked. We, we had one criteria, really. There was a lot, of, a lot of guys out there. And every single one of them looked like they could play basketball, except for me. And, uh, but I was already picked, so it didn't matter. And uh, we looked around, and I started noticing that several of the young guys that were out there playing were wearing slides. Right? Y'all may not know what slides are, like flip-flops. I don't know who comes to a basketball game wearing flip-flops, but there was a good number of them that were out there wearing flip-flops. And so <laughs> me being the smart guy that I think I am, I said, dude, hey, listen, don't pick anybody wearing flip-flops. <laughs> like... Somebody's going to get their ankle broke today, and it's not going to be anybody on my team because we're going to have shoes that lace. And uh, so we did. We, we, we picked our team, and we were going, and we started playing. And then uh, we had four teams that all got picked. There were so many guys, and then we decided that two teams would play each other. Well, Jared and I got this bright idea that the team we would pick first to play would be the team. Three guys on one team. There's only five of us on each team. Three of them were all wearing slides, all wearing flip-flops. And I looked over at Jared and I said, hey, let's play them first. (laughs) Those are the guys wearing flip-flops. I need every advantage that I can get over here on the court. Is that bad? Is that, is that, y'all are looking at me like, that's my pastor over here. He's trying to, you know, (laughs) do this. So it just so happened that Nook was on the team with three of these guys that all had flip-flops on. And uh, I was like, man, I, I love you, but you're about to lose, and, and we're going to do this. Um, can I tell you that backfired on us tremendously? <laughs> those, those boys, I tell you, 
it was, it was tough. One of those kids on the team over there, his name was EJ, he demolished us. Like, in flip-flops, on the basketball court. Like, it was first team to 11, and he had like eight points just himself. And it didn't matter. Like, I knew he couldn't drive because he's in flip-flops. He's dropping from the R. It didn't matter. It just did not work. I asked Nook later. I'm like, dude, how, how did you know to pick those? I would not have picked the guys in flip-flops. He said, Pastor Don, I was just out there hanging around earlier. and was just watching the guys shoot around. And those, those just happened to be the guys that knew how to play. So that's why I picked them. I have a lot to learn. From, from my friend Nook over here. My excuse was I was running an event and I couldn't pay attention to everything that was going on um, with that. So what's the moral of the story, Pastor Don? You don't know how to play basketball? Yes, that's the moral of the story. Nor do I know how to pick a team, apparently. Um, here's what I mean. Looks can be deceiving. Just because you think you don't know doesn't always mean that you know. And uh, I want you to think about this. God can use someone that everybody else overlooks to do incredible things for him. You believe that? God can even use those who people overlook or who overlook themselves who think, man, there's no way God could use me. And if you knew what I've done, God, God, can't, God can't use me. I'm doing good just to be here. You keep telling me, Pastor Don, that God's got a plan and he's got a purpose and there's some things he wants to do in and through me, but nobody's picking me. Jesus, Jesus isn't going to pick me, Pastor Don. You don't, you don't know what I've done or what I've been. And uh, for those of us that read our Bibles and are familiar with the story, the team that Jesus picked was a lot like that. He, he picked the guys that, that nobody expected. You look on the outside, and these are a bunch of fishermen. They're not going to change the world. They can barely take care of their families and, and, and take care of themselves. And I would say it this way. You don't pick Galileans to change the world if you're in Jesus' time. You don't. You, you go find some Romans. You go find some people. You, you do not pick these little fishermen um, from Galilee. And I'd go so far as to say this. I think God prefers to use those that everyone would least expect. So that when he does it, you look back and you're like, man, that must have been God. That must have been God. There's no way that, that, and I think about that often when I think of you and I think how God wants to use you and how sometimes we limit ourselves and we give ourselves um, almost a free pass because we think that there's stuff in our past or things in our lives that, that would disqualify us from being used by God. And I want to I tell you a story today um, that we find in scripture um, that I think is going to take that and flip it right on its head. Uh, for us today. Uh, this, is, this is what we call Passion Week. It's, it's the week leading up to Easter, and we celebrate on Easter the resurrection. Um, and this week, uh, we start to celebrate the days that Jesus decided to publicly acknowledge himself as the Messiah. This is the week before Jesus was betrayed, arrested, crucified, buried, and then raised to life. But today, Palm Sunday, and I'll explain why I call it Palm Sunday here in just a little bit, um, Jesus would enter Jerusalem like he had done before, but this time with tremendous fanfare and to much ado, and those that followed him created quite a scene. And as we read that story, as we go through here, we're going to discover along the way, getting there, Jesus makes a choice that nobody else would expect, 
and he does so very intentionally and very intently. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen as I read along, but I need you to understand this story that I'm telling you is in all four of the Gospels. All four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote their account of Jesus' life and the ministry that happened while he was here on earth before he was, 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 was crucified and then raised to life. And it's as if we're reading, when we read these stories, we're reading somebody's firsthand account of what happened. And sometimes there's events that are more important to one that are in the other. And so there's a little bit of details that you get from one, the other. How many of you have multiple children? Yeah, Kayla and I have five. And uh, when, when I come home and I want to ask them how their day went, I could ask them the same day, but how many of you know I get different stories across the way, different perspectives. Same day, just a little different perspectives. That's what we have here. And I'm going to read this multiple accounts as we go through this, but it's all going to be one story, all one event that we see. We're going to be reading out of Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and a little out of John 12. Let's follow this along if you can. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and scripture says, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Historians tell us those were palm branches that they had cut and spread out. Thus we get Palm Sunday today. Luke 19, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! It means, God save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I love this. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, these very stones would cry out. And so you don't know what's going on in somebody's life and in somebody's story when you see them worship. You come to a place like this and you think, no, why is everybody raising their hands and shouting and singing and and they're clapping and all of that? Yeah, we're experiencing something together, but what's really happening is they've experienced something themselves in the middle of that. And Jesus is saying, what I'm doing, what is happening right now before your very eyes is something that not only these people can't keep to themselves, these very rocks would cry out if they were quiet. The scene was electric. The scene was electric, this whole entourage, quite a commotion going into Jerusalem that day. And can I tell you something you need to think about? Regular people don't just enter a city with a parade and a bunch of fanfare. This wasn't like this regular occurrence. it, it It was very, very unique. Scripture tells us this about this day and about this moment and about this passage in Matthew 21. It says this, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He's talking about Zechariah. 
And the prophet said this, don't miss this. Say to the daughter of Zion, in other words, say to the Jews, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. There was a prophet hundreds of years before that would tell these people, when your king comes, he's coming humbly and he's coming riding on the colt of a donkey. Hundreds of years go by, Jesus is among them, and he decides when I'm going to usher in the kingdom and come out and tell everybody, I am the Messiah, I'm going to come in Jerusalem, and he chooses a colt, a donkey, to do that. This was prophesied way before. Here's what I need you to know. Here's the, here's the picture. You've got this big parade, people waving palm branches, Jesus is riding a donkey, there's lots of shouting and celebration. Remember, regular people don't just enter into a city with this kind of parade. Uh, in Roman times, there, was, uh, there were only two reasons to have a parade like this. And you need to understand there's only two reasons to do this. One would be when a returning general was returning from battle. He was victorious. They'd have a big celebration, a big parade. They call it a triumph they would happen. These, these Roman generals would come in and, and there'd be all this kind of fanfare. The second was when an, an emperor or a ruler was entering into the city. Either a conquest or the emperor or the ruler was entering. There'd be these big parades that would happen. There'd be, there'd be large crowds and lots of shouting, music, people waving, lots of beads, kings riding on a float. Wait, that's the wrong, the wrong parade. But there would be large crowds, there would be waving banners, they would be shouting, there would be soldiers, there would be trumpets, and the ruler would ride in on a horse, symbolic of power and conquest. You'd see this often, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who was responsible for this area, he didn't live in Jerusalem, he lived in the beach at Caesarea, it's like he had a house in Destin. And every time he came to Jerusalem, there would be this huge parade and this fanfare. He would come in on a horse and all of this ruckus would be made about him. Yet now this day, Jesus is coming and all of this ruckus is being made about him in the moment. Yet this day, it wasn't Pilate. It was Jesus. It wasn't the Roman ruler. It was the long-awaited Jewish king, the Messiah, that was entering into Jerusalem. And we have to ask this question. If this hadn't come to your mind, I need to help you with this. You need to ask this question. If this was in fact a parade of a king, why didn't the Roman soldiers do anything about it? They were just going to let somebody else come stroll up into their area. They were in control. They were in ruler, uh, in, in rulership. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they intervene? This very act that was unfolding before their eyes, if this was in fact a king, and these were in fact his subjects, this was a very act of treason that was taking place. Yet for some reason, the Romans did nothing about this. Why is that? Well, the truth is their military presence would have been threatened by a general on a war horse. But this was a rabbi on a donkey. They probably looked at I heard you snickering. Yeah, they're probably like, oh, how cute. Yeah. Come at me with something a little, a little better. Don't, don't come at me with a bunch of flip-flops on a basketball court, Jesus. Um, this, this was a rabbi on a donkey. And not even an adult donkey. This is a rabbi on a young donkey, one that had never even been Ridden, and they, were, they weren't threatened because they didn't understand. Well, if he's the king, why is he riding on a donkey? I, I don't know about you, but I'd come in on a lion myself. If you were to ask me, 
Pastor Don, you know, you get to do this over. Jesus says, hey, you go, stroll up into Jerusalem. You're the long-awaited king. I am Jesus, Lord of all. I'm coming on a lion. I'm not coming on a donkey, you know, or at least a horse, something, you know, in the middle of this. But it was just like Jesus to pick and use someone or something that no one else would pick. That everyone would have walked right past that day, yet Jesus said, no, 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 that's what I want to use. Anyone else would have picked a war horse. Jesus picks a young donkey and a donkey that had never been ridden. Think about that for just a second. And there's a parallel here that I don't want you to miss because the world doesn't think Jesus is going to pick you. The world does not think Jesus is going to pick you. They don't think that you're going to amount to much. The world doesn't think you have what it takes, yet Jesus is wanting this very day to use you in a way that you and everyone else would least expect to usher his kingdom into our region. How many of you believe that today? Okay. And those of you that aren't clapping are probably wondering yourself, did my pastor just call us a donkey? Look at your neighbor for me real quick and say, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I'm calling you a donkey. Jewish kings had a long history of using donkeys. Jacob blesses his son Judah in Genesis 49. This was 1,900 years before. And in that prophecy, in that that blessing that he gives him, he references the scepter and the kingship that would follow his lineage. And in that same passage, he references a donkey's colt. 800 years after that, Saul, who was Israel's first king, the day he is to become king, he's out hunting and looking for his father's donkeys. He comes across Saul, who blesses him and anoints him as king. David, a few years later, is sent by his father Jesse on a donkey out to battle to bring refreshments to his sons, or to his brothers, who are fighting in King Saul's army. Later on, David's son Absalom, when David's the king, his son Absalom tries to take David's kingdom. David demonstrates to the people his choice that his his heir would be Solomon, not Absalom. And how does he do that? How does he show everybody that this is the son that I want to be king? Well, in case you haven't figured it out, he rides him around town on the king's donkey to show him he is king. See, to the Romans, this was a teacher on a donkey, not a king on a horse. But to the Jews, this was precisely what they had seen their kings use time and time again. And if you know the kind of person God has used before, you'll have an idea of who he'll use again. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, God could never use me, you probably don't know the kind of people that God has used before. Yeah, but when you get your chance to figure out, God uses people that often get discredited. God uses people that get overlooked. God uses people that grow up hearing, you'll never amount to anything, yet God says, oh, you're gonna amount to something because while you were still in your mother's womb, I had a plan for you and it's gonna come to pass and you can't do anything about it. How many of you tried to outrun God and you lost? Some of us are still running, I got news for you. You're not gonna win. That plan that he has for you is coming. That mama, mama that's been praying for you, it's coming to pass. Here's my question for you this Palm Sunday. Do you believe that God can use you? Yes, you. You that has always been picked last, you that is messed up, you that has fallen in sin, the you that everyone, including yourself, overlooks from time to time. 
Look at me, church. He's used others just like you before. Look to your neighbor and say this. He used a donkey last time. Yeah, you'll probably never ever hear a a message again where your pastor refers to you as a donkey. Um, But the similarities to what I see in our church and what I see in this story are too similar for me to not make that reference to you. And here's what we know about this donkey in this story that we know is true about us. Those of you that are taking notes, here's number one for you. Jesus always has his eye on the least of these. Jesus always has his eye on the least of these. We read in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. But it goes so much deeper than that. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are. Look at this, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God like using those kind of people? Because when he's done, he gets all the glory because there's no way God could do that through somebody like us, amen? So Jesus picks a handful of average men and he changes the world. And you'd think he'd only want to use a war horse, yet when given the chance to demonstrate his kingship to the public, He chose to ride in on a donkey. Listen to me, don't you ever lie to yourself and tell you that God can't use you. Don't ever lie to yourself and God can't use you. He'll get more glory by using you than he will by using the person you think he should be using in the middle of that. Listen, number one, Jesus always has his eye on the least of these. Here's the second thing we learned from this story. It's true in our own lives. With Jesus, there's no experience required. No experience required. Listen, this isn't just a donkey. This is a young donkey, a young colt. And not just a young donkey or a young colt, but one that had never been ridden before. You remember the details of the story, right? Jesus is riding in on this donkey, one that has never been ridden before. Now, I'm not a donkey or a horse expert at all, but I do know this. You don't just jump on that animal's back and take off and ride Yet according to this story, that's what happens. How is it that Jesus was able to ride this colt right away? No training, no, no exercise. Well, I did some research, and uh, I was looking up how difficult it is to train a donkey or a colt that has never been ridden. And uh, again, I'm talking about donkeys, but if you see some parallels and similarities to yourself, then that's, that's on you. But here's the research that I found. This is, this is what I found. Donkeys are slow learners, so you have to be patient and gentle. Don't point at your neighbor. Don't look around. Just keep eyes focused right on me during, during this time. Here's, here's what else I learned. It may take a week or two to train the donkey for riding. I'm like, okay, I get that, but I still didn't answer the question how he was able to ride this donkey. And then I came across this one. They have to have a strong bond with the rider. And I thought, okay, that's it. That's what happened. It isn't the skill or the smarts of the donkey. 
It isn't the time or the experience that that donkey has had. It is all based on the strength of the bond with the rider that allowed Jesus to ride that donkey that day. Here's my question for you. How long do you have to be a Christian before God can use you? How long? How long do you have to be a Christian before God can can use you? Uh, How much theological knowledge do you have to have in order to have enough to be used by God? We see in this story, he grabs a young donkey, not just a young donkey, but one that had never been ridden before, never used in this capacity, had no training, no experience, no forehand knowledge of what he was about to be asked to do, yet Jesus said, I have need of him, bring him to me, and there was a bond that was there. Listen to me, church, you don't need more time, you don't need more experience to be used by God, all you need is a stronger bond with Jesus. All you need is a stronger bond with Jesus. All you have to do is love him. There's no experience required. How many of you are grateful for a God who can use you with no experience required? Yeah. Here's here's our third point as Isaac comes to help me. With Jesus, Jesus always has his eye on the least of these. With Jesus, there's, all, there's no experience required. And here's the third thing we learned from this story, maybe true about us. Jesus had to untie it before it could be used. Jesus had to untie it before it could be used. Mark 11 in verse 2 says this. Jesus is saying, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. Why did he have to send for the colt? Why, why, why did he not just, I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about, right? Why didn't he just say, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, and oh, look, here's a colt coming along. Let me ride on him into the middle of this. Surely he could have done that. Surely it would have been within his authority and his rule and reign as sovereign over all of God's creation to come and say, let me just have the pickest of the litter come and join me along the way. But he didn't. He had to send two of his disciples ahead of him to go and get this colt. Why did he have to send somebody? You know the answer. Because it was tied up. It was tied up. If it was to be used by Jesus, it had to be untied. What do you mean, Pastor Don? Listen, I know none of us in here today We're drug in here with a rope around our neck, forced to come. But if we're honest, many of us are tied up. We're tied up to our hurts. We're tied up to our fears. We're tied up to our anxieties. We're tied up to depression. We're tied up to guilt and to shame. We're tied up to unforgiveness. And those things are like a rope. Every time you go to be used by God, it's like something pulls you back. And you want to, because you love him. And you know and you believe, and your pastor does a great job every week of telling you, God wants to use you. Yet you find that there's something holding you back. It's stuck. What is it? It's because you're tied up. Trying to get free, yet it's like you're stuck. I spoke to a man just this week. Pastor, I... I love Jesus, but I'm just stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I, unforgiveness, Pastor, I just can't. If you knew what they did to her, 
I'm working on it. What's he saying to me as his pastor? Pastor, I'm stuck. I'm tied up. And if I want God to use him the way I know God wants to use him, I got to help him get untied from that. We got to get untied so that God can use us. So here's my question to you. How did Jesus get that colt untied? You remember? How did he do it? Did Jesus go himself, show up on the doorstep, knock on the door, and say, hey, come here, let me untie you? He didn't. Who did he send? He sent his disciples. Jesus sent two disciples to go and untie this donkey so that he could use it. What's fascinating about the story, those of you that read your scripture, almost everywhere in the gospel stories where we hear about the disciples, their names are almost always mentioned. It's, it's Matthew that did this, or it's, it's James and John that did this, it's Andrew, it's Philip that did this, and Peter who did this. Yet in this story, this unique story, none of the gospel authors, none of the accounts say the names of the disciples that went. It was just two of them. You don't know. We don't know which two it was. Was it James? Was it John? Was it Matthew? Was it Peter? And it made me wonder, could it be that it doesn't matter who helps you? as long as it's Jesus who sends them. Yeah. And is it possible that you're still tied up to that thing because you've never let anyone come and help you get untied? And we talk all the time about you need to be in relationship. You need to be in relationship. God needs to use you. God will never do anything in your life that he doesn't intend to do through your life. And I know in this room, there are some people that would say, Pastor John, God has set me free. Well, then who are you untying? Because God's got a plan and there are people tied up all around you. And I'm just crazy enough to think that when I read a story about two guys going to untie a donkey, and that donkey was the hero of the story that God used to usher in his kingdom, so many different ways there are people around you that are tied up and God hasn't untied you so that you could be untied just to be untied those disciples themselves had been set free from some of the same things that they were going to untie in these lives these three situations are what I see as the only obstacles to you and I being used by God the same way Jesus used this donkey to show others that he's king I'm going to review them for you God wants to use your life to show others that he's the king, number one. But you can't be limited by thinking that he can't use you. You can't. You can't. That's precisely why he wants to use you is so that he can get the glory. Don't let that first obstacle be the one that trips you up. Here's the second one. It's not your experience or your maturity that allows him to use you. It's the strength of the bond that you have with him that allows him to use you. Don't think because you just got born again last week that God can't use you to change somebody's life this week. No experience is required with Jesus. Don't let that obstacle be the one that trips you up. And then the third one, the Lord has need of you, but you can't be used if you're still tied up. He wants to bring other disciples into your life to untie those areas that have you stuck. You've heard me say this before, and I'll keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. Do you think if you could have done it by yourself, you'd have done it by now? Yeah, me too. 
I need other people in my life. And so do you. And I'm so grateful for the disciples that Jesus sent to my life to help untie me. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I do this so that there's no distractions and so that you can just focus and listening to the sound of my voice. And I'm going to ask you, which is it? Which of those things is keeping you from being used by Jesus? Jesus wants to use your life to show others he's the king that they have been waiting for. We know that God chooses and uses those that the world least expects. You qualify for that. We know that with God, there's no experience required, only a relationship bond with Jesus is necessary for him to use you. And we learn that God has need of you. And he will send disciples into your life to help you get untied from areas where you're stuck. Church, I believe that God is bringing a kingdom into New Iberia. I believe it's going to start here and overflow into our streets, into our community, into our businesses, into our government, into our schools. How do you think it's going to get there? With you. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Many of us grew up praying this every day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that, but we don't always know what it means. How is God going to bring his kingdom to our community? He's going to do it the same way that it's done in heaven. He's going to do it with people that everyone else overlooks. He's going to do it with people that love and have a relationship with Jesus. He's going to do it with people that have been untied from hurts and habits that have kept them bound. But I don't want to take for granted today that I'm talking about other people and not talking about you. Sure, our goal is for our lost friends and our family and our community to enter into the kingdom of heaven and to experience that freedom here on earth. But what about you? What about you? Jesus is having a conversation with a very religious leader, a man who thought he had it all figured out. A man that grew up in church, grew up going to church, thought he had everything free, thought he knew God. And Jesus told him of the importance of the kingdom of heaven and how it was coming. And and this guy was trying so hard to see it. Wanted so hard to enter into it. Wanted so hard to be a part of that, to be used by God. And here's what Jesus told this man Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it unless you're born again. Pastor John, what are you talking about being born again? He explains it to this, 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 this man, Nicodemus. He says, it's not the physical birth that happens when you were first born. This is a spiritual birth that happens. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard. And when we sinned, we separated ourselves from a righteous and a loving God. That sin has brought a spiritual death to us. And unless our spirit comes alive, we're going to spend eternity in hell, the only place away from God and his purpose and his plan in our lives. You must be 
born again. You must have an opportunity for your spirit to be brought alive. You say, Pastor Don, what does that mean? How do I do that? I see my need for Jesus. I see my need. God is unmistakable what God is doing in my life. I would tell you it's as simple as A, B, C today. A stands for admit. Admit that you're a sinner, that your sin, your willful choosing has separated you from a righteous and loving God. You have incurred a debt that you cannot pay. Scripture tells us the wages of sin, what's due because you sinned is death. It's B, believe that God sent his son Jesus who lived a life we could not live to pay a debt that we could not pay. To save us. Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Jesus came and lived a life holy and blameless, yet was crucified and shed his blood for our sin. You admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is God's son and your savior. And then see, you confess. Confess him as Lord. What does that mean? It says, your way's better. I've done it my way. And look where it's gotten me. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I I do admit that I'm a sinner, that my sin has separated me from God, and I need him. And I believe that Jesus came and lived a life I couldn't live, paid a debt I couldn't pay, and I'm ready to confess him today, not just as Savior, but as Lord, to be the boss, to lead me, to guide me, and to show me. I want to walk in that freedom that you're talking about. I want to be used by God the way that I've heard you say today. If you're here today, and that's you, and you'd like me to pray with you to be born again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with today. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do that. You want me to pray with you to be born again today? One two, three. Raise your hands high so I can see them. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, that's two. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir, I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am, I see your hand on the back row. Keep your hands up. Thank you, I see you in the balcony. One more time before we pray, put your hands down. You didn't raise your hand last time, but you're saying, Pastor Don, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to miss what God has for me in this moment. I'm nervous. I've never done anything like this before, but, but I know this is what I need. If that's you and you want to be included with those, I just, I just saw. I ask you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand so I can know who to pray with. You want to be included. Thank you. I see your hand. Church family, I'm going to ask us all to pray aloud. And we're going to pray together. It's indicative of the fact that nobody lives Christianity alone. If that's you and you raise your hand, along with all of us, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who raise their hand?